When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm 50% of the podcast, Kevin Valentin. What's going on, you guys? I'm Kyle Dabro. I'm the other half of the Neighborhood Podcast. Kevin, what's good, man? What's good? What's good, baby? The time has arrived. We have finally come to the end of the tunnel in regards to the NBA regular season. So today, for the majority of this episode, we have a lot of NBA content. Uh, today, Kyle and I are going to talk about the play-in games for the play-in tournament of who we think would come out, both conferences of the West and East. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Hall of Fame in terms of the 2020 class this past weekend and the 2021 elects of uh, next season. We're going to talk about the end-of-season player awards between the most valuable player of the league, who we think will be most improved, and so on and so forth. Uh, Afterwards, we're going to get into some NHL news. I know for a fact that Kyle was watching some of those games this past weekend. I was at a wedding, so I was very limited to access on my phone, but I did hear based off the scoreboard stat sheet and then, you know, word of mouth from Kyle that it was an incredible weekend for hockey as well. So, uh, I mean, with that being said, let's just jump right into it, boy. These seeds are locked. Finally, Mm -hmm. we're here, and we're going to start with the Western Conference. Kyle, from the 7th to the 10th seed, we have the Los Angeles Lakers, the Golden State Warriors, the Memphis Grizzlies. And the San Antonio Spurs. So I'm asking you straight up with the news today that LeBron James has re-aggravated that ankle injury. Granted, he did say in his press conference that he was okay. Do you think that that injury could hinder his ability to play at 100% in a winner-take-all game to solidify the seventh seed of the Western Conference? No, he'll be fine. They they play Golden State in that oh, seven nice. eight matchups, and I think the Lakers are going to win a close game in that 7-8 matchup between them and the Golden State Warriors. I like the way that the Lakers finished off the season. They did finish on a five-game winning streak to close out the year. And I think what you're starting to see is the Lakers kind of rounding into form at the right time because now everybody's back from injury. Anthony Davis has gotten over his calf Achilles injury that he was dealing with halfway through the season. LeBron, even with the little ankle thing that he dealt with in the last game of the season, I don't expect that to be any sort of issue moving forward. If anything, they'll probably just bandage him up and ice him before the game. He'll be a hundred percent fine. And I think it does set up a really cool series for the Lakers going up against the Suns then, because if the Lakers do win that Lakers warriors game, that's who they would go up against in the first round of the, in the first round of the playoffs against Phoenix. So I'm not worried about LeBron's little ankle turn that he had uh, yesterday. I think he'll be fine. He said so in the press conference, like you just mentioned. And even if he's not 100% for that game, he's going to do just fine. He's still probably going to drop somewhere between like 20, 25 points. Honestly, he may even go for 30 just because of the pressure that is that the pressure that comes with this game. And, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the Lakers, you just got to find a way to stop Steph. You had to find a way to at least slow him down. 
because if he gets cooking, it's going to be a much closer game than I think the Lakers want it to be. Because, bro, we saw Steph in the last game of the year against Memphis drop 46. And you even had players like John Morant of the Grizzlies saying that that's the MVP. Just the way that he's been playing the second half of the year. It's absolutely nuts. And if Steph gets on a hot streak in that Lakers game, the Warriors may find a way to win that game. I just, I have more faith in the Lakers team than I do with Golden State's team. Because when you look at Golden State, it is really just Steph carrying the team. Granted, they, the Warriors have some decent role players in Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. It's just that they've been a little bit too inconsistent for my taste this season. So Steph is going to do what he needs to do. It's whether or not that Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre and even Draymond can step up to the plate and make a difference in that game against the Lakers. But I, I do have the Lakers winning that matchup and they will get the seventh seed. And then when you look at the, the Grizzlies and the Spurs matchup at the nine and 10, it's a trickier one here for me, but I'm actually going to go with the Spurs here simply because look, the Grizzlies really haven't been in what I would consider really a big pressure game since what, like 2013, 2014, when they had that group of Mike Conley Jr. And, Zach Randolph, and, Marcus um, and Marcus Saul, back when they were going up and giving OKC a real run for their money, and it's a brand new crop of players from Memphis coming into the fold, and I'm not 100 percent sure that these guys have that experience as somebody like Greg Popovich does. Now, granted, you know the Spurs are the 10th seed; they barely got into the play-in tournament, but Demar Derozan has some decent playoff experience. And I think that he could possibly carry this team to a win over the Grizzlies. It's going to be a much closer game. And that's why I kind of struggled with this pick here, but I'm going to go with a little bit of um, expert leadership here with Greg Popovich leading the way. Granted, you know, this is not like the San Antonio Spurs from a decade ago when you had Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manny Ginobili running the show. It even Kawhi towards the tail end of it. But I like the coaching matchup. And I think it favors Greg Popovich here more than it does with the Grizzlies. So I'm going to go with the Spurs to win against the Grizzlies. I know that may come as a surprise to you, but I like the matchup. I might be wrong on this one. I'm going to go with the Spurs though. And then that would set up a Golden State Spurs matchup for the A spot. And I do believe that Golden State would get the ace seed just because I don't think the Spurs are going to be able to stop Steph. I just, I don't see it. So I don't even know if the Lakers are going to be able to really stop Steph. They may be able to slow him down, but I mean, if the Warriors lose to the Lakers, you could pretty much guarantee that Steph's going to basically go for 50 in that, that last game against the Spurs to get the eight seed. So, so wait, hold on. You're saying that you have the Lakers beating the Warriors. Mm-hmm. They get the and seven. then you, and then you have, the Spurs beating the Grizzlies. Yep. So then you have overall Golden State coming out with the eighth as as a, as a conclusion. Yeah, because then Golden State would play the Spurs for the eighth spot, and I yeah, got yeah, the yeah. Warriors okay. winning that one. I so just... yeah, yeah, but the Lakers get the seven, Golden State gets the eighth, and that would set up the Western so basically Conference. Basically, stays the way it is. 
Yes, as it currently stands right now, just based on um, the current standings, that's what I have it as. It's just that I don't have the Grizzlies winning. I have the Spurs no. winning in that 9-10 matchup. So I am a little different. Um, again, this to me, this all depends on the health of LeBron James. If Bron's ankle, God forbid, he tweaks it again, or, you know what I mean? Like, it hinders him from playing at 100%. Like, you know, he's wincing throughout the game. He's got a minute restriction. And, of course, if Steph Curry starts to pop. Because if, if he, at any point in time, isn't picked up from half court on, I think that the Lakers are doing him a disrespectful service and they're doing him a favor. Because it's like he has just literally pulled on every elite defender this league has. And the Lakers don't necessarily have the greatest of wing defenders. I mean, you have KCP, you have Wesley Matthews off the bench, maybe Taylor Horton Tucker, maybe Kyle Kuzma. I don't know if they put a bigger body on him. The point of the matter is it's going to be a very annoying night for a lot of people to have to go out and guard Steph on a regular play-in and play-out basis. Obviously, like you stated, Steph is the literal life and breath of this whole team. So Kyle jokingly said earlier, if you don't double him right off the bat, you're, you're, you're being stupid. And I agree with that completely because he's on that hot of a tear. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, first legitimate minute of the game of Golden State wins a tip. You got to kind of feel it out for the type of play that he's going to go for for the game. But I mean, like as the game continues, and if he if he hits a three or two in a row or he hits a bucket or two, hits some free. I, bro, you have to double him. You, you, you can't give him any air to breathe. And you make all of the role players around Steph beat you. You make Draymond, you make uh, Damian Lee, you make Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, um, Kevon Looney. You make all of those players beat you because overall on paper, we all know that the Los Angeles Lakers are better than a seventh seed, but it's just the injuries that have put them in this position. So as Kyle stated, I would agree. I think that the Lakers win this if Braun is healthy, but if at any point you see that Braun is slowed down or limited, don't be surprised if the Warriors come back in this game and they take that. So if I had to put my money on it, I will say the Lakers take the seventh. Uh, I will go the opposite way with Memphis and San Antonio. I think that the return of uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jalen Jackson Jr., whatever his name is, I think that that's going to make a very big difference in terms of the pick and pop for John Morant. Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen have played very, very well this season. Obviously, Villanchonis has had a great year. San Antonio, unfortunately, ended the year on a four-game skid, went 2-8 and eight in their final 10 games. Um, the stellar coaching ability of Greg Popovich can only go so far when players are just not executing. I don't think that uh, DeMar DeRozan is enough to carry a de- depleted San Antonio team past this young and electric, potentially uh, – you know, up and coming Memphis team, but you know, I, I would definitely say that I, I go Memphis coming out with the nine or coming out of that matchup. And then I say Golden State comes out for the eighth seed. So at the end of the day, we have the same end result. I just see it going a little differently with Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that, that's my prediction for the West. Now sliding over to the Eastern Conference, we did have a little bit of a flip in terms of um, the ending seeding positions, uh, the Celtics are the seventh, the Wizards are the eighth, the Pacers are the ninth, and the Hornets are the tenth. Last week, Kyle and I actually went over this, and it was the Hornets at the eighth, the Wizards at the ninth, and the Pacers at the tenth. So everybody pretty much slid up a couple of spots. Boston stays the same. Um, and the news, once again, just continues to fall. Bradley Beal is a lot more hurt than Kyle had initially anticipated because I knew when Bradley got hurt that that was pretty bad. Um, 
And they're saying that he's going to be very, very limited coming into this game. So, I mean, even Bradley at 75%, could that help? Could that make it worse? Could, could it just end up being a Jason Tatum versus Russell Westbrook game? And if that's the case, I think I'm going to take the overall performance of Jason Tatum versus just the, the sole possession of Russell Westbrook. We all know what happens when Russell takes the show on by himself. We all saw it in Golden, excuse me, in uh, OKC when Kevin left. Uh, they had a great record. He won an MVP, but they just could not win in the postseason. And mm-hmm. again, you know, with even with Paul Pierce, uh, Paul Pierce, what is wrong with me today? Even with Paul George in OKC, they still weren't able to win. Even with James Harden, they were incapable of winning as well. So I think it truly goes forth just to say, like Russell Westbrook is more of a stat padding player, not taking away from his athleticism, his energy, you know, the type of player that he is, but he's just not a postseason player. He's not a guy that's selfless enough to not shoot. He's not a guy that's going to take less shots to make his team better. So like I said, if it comes down to it with just Russell and Jason, I think the Celtics squeak by because Jason Tatum is just an electrifying young player, probably one of the best players under 25 this league scene. Um, And then we're going to go right into the uh, Pacers and Hornets matchup. I'm going strictly with the Pacers only because the Hornets also ended the season terribly on a five game skid going three and seven in the last game. And the Sabonis has just been absolutely eating the league at a pace where no one's really giving him any respect. I mean, I'm pretty sure he averaged 20 points per game, 12 or 13 rebounds and six assists for a seven footer. It's pretty solid for a team that's this bad. And Chris Levert has obviously come on strong after he had his procedure and he's been playing very well, averaging, I believe 21, five and six. So that one-two combo with the obviously addition of Marcus Brogdon, uh, not Marcus, Malcolm Brogdon, and I don't know if Miles Turner is hurt. I don't recall. I could be crazy, but you know, if Miles Turner is playing, I think that that is a very well-rounded team to go out there and beat the basic duo of you know Lamelo and Miles Bridges. I think that the the Pacers have enough to go out there and take it. And then if it comes down to a Pacers-Wizards game, obviously Bradley Beal still being hurt. If that is the case, it is his hamstring, so I don't see him healing within a week. Um, I think that'll be a pretty good game, but I think I'm going to switch up what I put last week. And just obviously because of Bradley's injury, I think I'm going to put the Pacers to get the eighth seed. Yeah, for what I have for the Eastern Conference plan, we'll start with a 7-8 matchup between the Celtics and the Wizards. I'm actually going to go with the Wizards here simply because I just hated the way that Boston closed out the end of the season. After Jalen Brown without went out with his wrist injury, this team just, I think it just lost. It's it just, it doesn't have the same life that it had when Jalen was on the team. And I'll be honest with you. Even when Jalen was on the team, this team was not playing that well to begin with. They were basically struggling to stay 500 or better the, the entire season. And, they just they they finished 500 this season, correct? Yeah, on the dot. Yeah, their last loss put them at 500. So to me, this season has really been an interesting one for Boston because I really thought that Boston would be a mid-level team, usually somewhere in between, like maybe like the four and the six seed. But they just struggled throughout the entire year. And look, outside of the one win that they had against the Timberwolves uh, this past weekend. This team just was not playing that well. They lost to the Bulls. They lost to the Heat twice. They lost to the Cavs. They did beat the Wolves. And then they lost to the Knicks in the last game of the season. So they did not finish the season particularly well. 
And it obviously was exacerbated by Jalen Brown not being there. And I just think you're putting way too much pressure on Jason Tatum to carry this team to the playoffs. Now, granted, with Washington, Bradley Beal is not 100%. We don't know whether or not that he's going to play in this playing game against Boston. I would like to think that he will. He might play on a minutes restriction just because everybody knows that that hamstring is not 100%. But I think Russell Wilson, uh, not Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook is going to absolutely light it up. He's probably going to get somewhere around 25 points. Wouldn't surprise me he gets at least 15 assists and 15 boards to go along with it as well. The one guy in particular that I'm looking at with the Wizards is Roy Hachimura. This kid has moments where he can flash and he can get you 20 to 25 points. And I like that matchup when you compare it against who I think the second best player offensively for Boston is, which is Kemba. I just like the matchup because I think I, I think Hachimura has somewhat of an advantage just as far as his scoring ability goes, because he's like seven inches taller than him. But I'm not saying I'm not saying they're gonna match up one on one. I'm just saying that the overall matchup of Hachimura going up against Boston's defense is going to be better than what I think Kemba is going to have to deal with, because I don't know who Kemba is going to get matched up with uh, defensively. It's just that Kemba has been a little bit too inconsistent for me this year. And I just like the way that the wizards finished off the season. And that was with Bradley even being hurt. So Russell did take a little bit more of the pressure. He did carry more weight when Bradley Beal was out. But he's been dynamite the last month or so. And I, I'm i going to go with a little bit of – I'm just going to go where the wind takes me on this one, and I'm just saying that the Wizards got this one. So I believe that they will – they'll get the – they would get the seven, right, if they win that matchup, correct? The Wizards, yeah, they'd get the seven. They would get the seven. And then when I look at the eight – when I look at the eight matchup or the – um whoever's going to get the a seed. Um, if I had to pick a team here, I'd probably pick the Pacers to get the eighth. I think they, when I look at the teams across the board from seven to 10, this team deserves to be in the playoffs just because Sabonis has been playing lights out this year. He's having a career year. I like what Karis LeVert has done with this team, even despite coming off the injury that he had from last season. And I think this Indiana team is just more deep than any of the teams that are left. I, I I like their matchup against the Hornets. The Hornets are a little bit too young for me. Granted, they're very flashy. Mile Bridges just destroys the rim basically every game or every other game. And the announcers for Charlotte go absolutely nuts when he does so. It's just that I think they're going to run into a problem with Indiana. And I don't think the Hornets are just going to have enough firepower to match what Indiana is going to do. So I got Indiana winning that 9-10 matchup against Charlotte. And then I'm basically just going to reiterate why I think Indiana is going to get the eight seed. It's just because I don't think Boston's going to be that competitive against Indiana. I just don't think they had the pieces to match up with them properly. I think Jason's going to go out there and probably get like 35, 40 points. But I, just, I don't think Boston's defense is going to be able to hold up against Indiana. Indiana has too many good players. You got to deal with Sabonis. You got to deal with Brogdon. You got to deal with Karis LeVert. And I I just, I I think Indiana is just going to be too much for them to handle with. And I think as crazy as it sounds, Boston is currently the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, but I don't think they get in. 
I think they're going to lose two straight. And I think when I look at it, the Wizards are going to be the seventh seed. And the Pacers are going to round out the Eastern Conference at the eighth seed. That's all I now, have. Now, by some miracle, this man, the light-skinned guy from St. Louis, Missouri, Jason Tatum, just for whatever reason, carries them to a playoff appearance. You and I are going to have to address a public apology to the Boston Celtics because if this man goes out and hoops like that, Steph's been doing it all year. I'm just saying, I know that this kid can hoop. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've watched him in high school. I watched him in college. Like Jason Tatum can ball out. Yeah. So, I mean, the spotlight's on him. He never shies away from the moment. When you need him the most, he can be clutch. So I'm, I'm just saying, I genuinely think they can get one. And I think that the one game that they can get is this first one because of the injury to Bradley Beal. Even if Bradley plays him at a limited capacity, that's who they would put on Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jason's going to have some buckets if Bradley's holding that hamstring most of the time. And Russell's going to be in some shit when he realizes his partner in crime, who has been hooping the second, letter, second of the latter half of the year, and Russell's got to do it alone. Mm-hmm. I think the first opportunity is definitely going to be here. I think this is when they solidify their opportunity to get that seventh spot. But if they do fall for the first, I think they definitely fall for the second. Because I do think right now with the injury to Bradley Beal that the Pacers are a better team. I, I don't disagree. It's just that for me personally, I think Washington is going to put everything they got into that 7-8 matchup against the Celtics. And I think Russell is going to put that team on his back and he absolutely dominate that game. We'll he see what happens. We'll he, just, what he, ha- just can't, he can't have a Russell night where he's pulling like 15 middies and he only makes like three or four of them. The, the question mark is, is Bradley. That's the main thing going forward yeah. into this game. And whether he's able to play or not, I think if he does play, I think he'll be okay. I don't know how useful he's going to be because that hamstring is probably going to bother him throughout most of the game. But I think the fact still remains. Whether Bradley's in the game or not, I think Russell's going to absolutely cook in this game. I don't know why. I just got this feeling that I think Russell's going to go absolutely bonkers in this game and get Washington to that seventh seed. That's just kind of how I see it. Hope so. I, I, I bottom line, these games are about to be incredible. I've spoken to a multitude yep. of people that are huge basketball fans, and I've gotten a, a, surprisingly a lot of negative around the playing tournament. A lot of people don't like this. A lot of people think that it's it's unfair for a team that's fallen out of the latter portion of the the, the Eastern Conference standings, such as the nine and the ten seeds. They had all season to compete to get to that eight seed, but the traditional way of top eight, get it, and that's it. But right now, as it's sitting. If we were to get into a seven series game with the Celtics and the Nets and the 76ers and the Wizards, in my personal opinion, I think that's a sweep both ways because the Celtics are hurt. The Wizards are hurt versus if the Pacers were to get in, they're healthy right now. I'm not saying the Hornets are going to do anything. The Hornets, like you said, are too young, but I would probably take a Pacers Wizards versus a Pacers Celtics. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, I, 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 and a lot of players that I've spoken to are LeBron fans and they're mad because LeBron is in the playing tournament, but it's like, if Bron was the top seed, I don't think anybody would give a shit because that's not their business. 
you know, it, like I already know like people that are LeBron fans are arrogant. So it's like my man's going to cook them and they're going to sweep them or whatever. It's not going to make no difference who we play. That's just a warm up game for them. That's another day off for Bron to heal, blah, blah, blah. But now that Bron's in that situation where he's got to play, everyone's like, this is stupid. He already has that. He should be waiting to the next series. I, it's just, I find LeBron fans to be highly amusing because it's always an excuse. But if it's on the other foot, Nobody gives a shit about something like this. This is good for the NBA. This is good for ratings. And this goes to show just because you squeak into the seventh or eighth seed, it doesn't mean the season's over. You got to go and solidify and prove everybody, yo, I'm here for a reason. Mm -hmm. So instead of playing a seven-game series against with the top two seeds, you got to play at least another game or two, depending on where you see uh, on where you are seated. I like it because it gives it gives those nine and ten seeds a reason to actually play. Granted. Even if the nine and like, I'm just saying like hypothetically, like, let's just say like the, uh, the Hornets, I'm just saying hypothetically, just for sake of the argument here, let's say the Hornets get in and they, they find a way to get the eighth seed granted. They might get smoked against Philadelphia. To me, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you gave the Hornets an opportunity to make the playoffs. And if they make the most of it, they can. And that to me is really cool is that you're giving these teams in that nine and 10 spot, a chance to make the playoffs and make something of themselves. When, when you look at how it's traditionally been played with just the one through eight seats, typically that's never been the case. So yeah, it it's doesn't, incentivized, dude. Exactly. It makes them like, Oh, I want to play. I want to get in. And it, it, it now, gives young teams like the Hornets a, a building block. Exactly. No, it gives them a building block going forward. See yeah. last year we had this happen. We had this happen or this person wasn't here. We made the playoffs last year by the skin of our teeth. Now let's make it permanent next year. Let's go for that sixth seed or let's, you know, let's go for that seventh seed or something like that. You feel me? Like, I like the idea of this because it gives younger teams confidence and it gives other teams an opportunity to go out there and shock the world and show them what they're capable of. Imagine if Phoenix had this opportunity last year. I think this would have been amazing. If they had finished, if they had gone into a possible playing situation last year with the way that they finished the season last year in the bubble. That would have they fell really short said. because Memphis. I'm pretty. If I remember correctly, Memphis lost almost every single game in the bubble, but they were so far ahead of the teams that were invited to the bubble that weren't in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It really made no difference. Yep. Phoenix went on and won, I believe, all eight of their games. They dominated the league, and De- Devin they, was on fire. Devin was just cooking in every aspect of the word, and they were just incapable of taking that next step because. They their record when they had gotten into the bubble was too bad. Like they needed yeah. a lot of ex, ex they needed a lot of uh, external uh, out, help. external factors exactly external help to go out and make it. So I agree. If this situation happened last season where they had a play in tournament style, they I think would have shocked a lot of people. I don't know if they would have beaten the one seed, but I, I, I genuinely think that would have been an electrifying matchup. If I'm being completely honest. Now, now I got to ask you a question since you mentioned the LeBron fans and them not being happy about the situation that LeBron is currently in in this playing tournament. Let's just have a little fun here. What if the Lakers lose back-to-back games and LeBron loses the playoffs? I'm laughing in everybody's face. Imagine the freaking vitriol you're going to get from LeBron fans if they don't make the playoffs. The Lakers. This playing tournament was the stupidest thing in the world. LeBron's yeah. record in the postseason, blah, 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 blah. Jordan never had this, or Jordan never had to worry about this stupidity, or LeBron was hurt all year. You'd never hear the end of it. Never no, hear the it's, end it's, of it. It's, it's going to be a backpack 
of bullshit about why this playing tournament is stupid. But if next season got, you know, like the Lakers go out and they dominate the league and the playing tournaments, that shit was stupid, but it don't matter now because we at the top, like I said earlier, just everybody's ignorant when it comes to their favorite player to a certain extent. It just, it seems that Braun fans are just a little bit over the top and all of them are very confident right now saying Steph Curry, Chef Curry, Seth Curry, it don't matter. Lakers are going to dominate. Okay. If, because, you know, nobody is psychic, it's a 50-50 split on who the fuck can win. If the Lakers lose the first game, if LeBron James tweaks that ankle further than what it is and plays in this game, can Anthony Davis carry this team past the uh, past the Warriors and past a Memphis and past the Spurs team? I would assume if they lose to the Spurs, I mean, I would assume if they lose to the Warriors, they're going to beat whoever comes out of the 9-10 and 10 matchup just because the, I believe that the Lakers have better talent. But like you said, if, magic word, you know, people don't like the IF. It's, a, it's like a forbidden word. If the Lakers fall, I don't really want to hear it. I really don't. Like, you had an entire season to combat everything. You were you would short your two best players, yes, but you did end the season on a six-game win streak. Anthony Davis was healthy for, for the latter portion of May and the, the little bit of April. So, I mean – you controlled your own destiny. You yeah. you really did. You had the opportunity to slide up to six. You had the opportunity to go to five. And, you know, you couldn't beat certain teams. And, you know, you didn't get the job done. I don't want to hear it. The yeah. team was built around LeBron James for a reason. Just because Bron goes out doesn't mean you're useless. Hmm. You're an NBA player. This isn't the Cavs team from 2007. So there's no excuse as to, yo, we had no help. Bro, yeah. you went out and you got a bunch of players. You signed people to extensions. You re-signed players from the last season, your championship year. Did, what what excuse are you going to provide to me excluding injuries? And then on the flip side, if the Lakers win the finals this year, I'm just saying hypothetically, then the LeBron fans are going to be like, oh, this is like the greatest performance that LeBron's ever had in his career. Playing he's, tournament, he, he's uh, like, whatever. He, like this is the first team. This is the this would technically be the first seven seed to actually go and win an NBA title because I think the lowest seeded team to ever win the NBA finals, I believe was the 95 Rockets. I think they were like the sixth seed. If I remember correctly, it was like the 1994, 1995 season. They ended up playing the magic and the magic were the one seed in the Eastern conference. And they ended up beating them in the finals. I think that was the year after, I, I think that was the year after LeBron, uh, not LeBron, that Jordan retired for the first time after his first three peat. Yeah, and I, th- I think Houston won that first finals after Jordan retired the first time. Yeah, they won back to back. So, I mean, I'll say this: when it comes to the Lakers, though, the Lakers, even though that they're the that they're the seventh seed, the only reason why that they're the seventh seed is not because of just the overall talent on the team. It's because of injuries. Because LeBron and AD were out for most of the season, or out for a decent part of the season in their respective moments or their respective yeah, times Bron missed, missed. missed 27 games I think so you know when I look at this roster though this is like one of the best seven seeds I've ever seen so it's a far cry from what the seven seed the seven seeded Lakers were in like the 2006 playoffs when Kobe basically carried a bunch of scrubs to a 3-1 series lead against Phoenix and then proceeded to lose three straight games after that so this is a really good seven seed though and if the Lakers get into the playoffs here, Phoenix does not want to play this team. I'll tell you right now, off rip, the first round of the playoffs, Phoenix has to play the Lakers. Bro, that's a problem. 
that's a problem for the for Phoenix. And Phoenix could Big get problem. bounced if that's the case. Hey, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Lakers are a shoo-in if they come out of the playing tournament to go out <laughs> and you know clear the West out. And I'm not <laughs> going to sit here and say that the Suns aren't good enough to beat them. But here's another what if. If the Lakers go through the, the playing tournament and they come out and they are the seventh, but then they go and lose to a Suns team that's young and energetic and Chris Paul being the veteran leader that he is, and they find a way to, 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 to knock off the defending champs. Does that tarnish LeBron's record? Does that tarnish his reputation? I think so. That's a first-round exit to a bunch of kids. Injuries aside, I don't want to hear it. It's, it's tricky because injuries – this season for the Lakers really played a significant role into where they are Agreed. right now. But you made the playoffs. You that, had seven games to do it. That's fair. That's a fair point. But the way that I look at it is if the Lakers end up beating the Suns, that would be that would be crazy because I've I've already stated, I think you and I have both stated at this point that we both believe that the Suns are a final contending team this year. Agreed. So it would, it's going to be a fun matchup if that's the case. I think it's probably going to go six, seven games. And, man, if the Lakers end up pulling it off against the Suns, I don't know. Would the Suns be able to come back next year? Chris Paul would be another year older. I don't know how effective he would be next year. Well, he's a free he, agent after this season, so I, it's a I, matter I think, of what's I think he, I think he should stay there. I think that that's actually a decent place for him to win a championship. Maybe he goes to the Lakers. I don't know if that's the case after this year, but yeah, well, fourteen years later, go to the Lakers. I swear to God, I would. I, David Stern rolling in his grave right now. Rest it'd, in be, peace. it'd be an easy chip, or at least a, an easy chance for a chip if yeah. Chris Paul were to leave Phoenix this year. But honestly, I think they have. I think Chris has great chemistry with this team. In yeah, I agree. It's just a matter of don't forget they got to give Devin an extension. They got to give Aiden an extension. So you know there are money situations that are involved and Chris Paul's got to come off that high horse because he's never making 40 million in a year again ever no he has to become so, he has to become friendly to the cap yeah at this, at this point don't get me wrong he's a great player he's been, he's been one of the best point guards that we've ever seen but at this point you know making over 35 40 million dollars a year I actually I think the way that this contract worked I think had he carried it out a certain way in Houston, I think he was supposed to make like damn near like $50 million in the last year of his contract. Like, no, Chris Paul is not worth $50 million a year, bro. I could see him maybe being somewhere like 15 to 20 after this year. Yeah. That, that's, that seems somewhat reasonable, but agreed. But you know, nevertheless, we're not going to get in here and make our predictions of the actual playoffs before they actually begin. So we just wanted to give you guys a quick rundown of who we believe would come out of these playing tournaments when they begin tomorrow, or is it Wednesday? I forget when they start. Uh, the Eastern Conference ones are tomorrow, and then the Western Conference ones are on Wednesday. Oh, man. Am I going to be glued to my couch tomorrow? Am I? I don't think I am. Shit. I have puppy classes tomorrow. Damn you, Sabo. Anyway, um, <laughs> so we're going to transition into the 2020 NBA Hall of Fame class that was inducted this past weekend. Um, obviously starting at the top, the late great Kobe Bryant, uh, obviously passing away this past year was inducted by his wife, Vanessa accompanied by Michael Jordan, um, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, a list of other players, uh, to be inducted or that were inducted to catchings and so on and so forth. An incredible class. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to keep this relatively brief 
just because we do have to get into the 2021, the 2021 class that was announced as well. We all know that between the first three players I named, that that is 11 NBA championships. That is God knows how many all-star appearances. That is God knows how many all NBA teams that they've been a part of. And I, I don't even fucking know. I mean, these three players right here may be the best three Hall of Famers to go into a class in NBA history. Like the impact that these gentlemen had throughout the entire 90s and early 2000s were just legendary. Yeah. We all know the legacy that Kobe left behind. We all know the legacy that Tim left behind and the energy and the legacy that Kevin left behind. So it's like, can this be considered one of the greatest classes of all time? I think so. Because when you look at Kobe Bryant and Tim Duncan, those are two of the best 10 players that have ever played the game. You got Tim Duncan, who's arguably the greatest power forward to ever play the game. You can make an argument about Carl uh, Malone, but Tim Duncan was as good as they come. He wasn't the flashiest player, but man, was he effective. Won five titles in his career. He was named NBA MVP in, I'm trying to read this right, in 2002 and 2003. So he won it twice. He also did win rookie of the year when he first came into the league. And he was the major piece that was a part of San Antonio's dynasty run, essentially. Because basically, it was really the Lakers and the Spurs kind of going back and forth in the early and mid-2000s just for supremacy of the NBA. And I'll tell you what, like those matchups between the Lakers and the Spurs, they were something to behold because it brought out the best in all of those players. You have those were classic moments. Classic moments. I mean... Had it not been, I, I know one in particular, where like, you remember the uh, the, the four-tenths shot from Derek Fisher? The Derek Fisher shot, I was just about to say. You know, do, you re- do, you remember, do you remember the shot that Tim Duncan had made? He made a fall, he made a fadeaway, fall like away. 20, 25-foot jump shot, where he basically mm-hmm. just throws, he just chucks it with one hand over Shaq and splashes it with four-tenths of a second left. And you think that San Antonio is probably going to win the game. And if they had won that game, you're probably going to win the series because that was game five. I was going up three, that was a two. Big, that was, yeah, man. That was a big fucking shot right there. But it's like Tim Duncan made those shots all of the time. He was just, he was just greatness personified, even in the latter stages of his career, because they won a title in 2014 when he was still a very good player. But even he wasn't what I would consider in his prime at that point in his career. But he was as effective as it comes. So you have to give a lot of credit to what Tim Duncan was able to accomplish in his career. He was absolutely phenomenal. Um, to talk about Kobe here, look, my favorite player growing up, and it was it was just it was nice to see him get inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, through his wife, and it was it was kind of nice watching. Um, I believe it's it was, all you get the jacket. Yeah, that's his eldest daughter. I got the jacket. That was really cool. I mean, look, I mean, you can go on and on about Kobe. He's the closest thing that we've ever seen to Michael Jordan. He's a five-time champion, won one MVP in 2006. Yeah, no, 2008. He won in 2008. He won in 2008. And he was one of the best Lakers. He's probably the greatest Laker in 
the entire franchise history of the Lakers. And it was just the mentality that he brought. He was just relentless. He never gave up. He never stopped. And he brought the best out in his teammates whenever he could, just because he was that fierce of a competitor. And it's like I mentioned, we will never see another player like Kobe Bryant ever again. I just, I, I, I don't think we'll ever see it just because, you know, don't get me wrong. Like Jordan is still like who I consider the greatest of all time, but Kobe got damn near close to it. And he, he modeled MJ's game into his own and he made the most of it. And it was really just, a, it was a pleasure. And it was just an honor to watch Kobe play 20 years with the Lakers, even in the last couple of years where he clearly wasn't the same. He was really brought down by injuries like the last couple of years of his career, but that 60 point game against Utah in the last game of his career, something that I'll never forget. And um, it just sucks that he wasn't, he wasn't in there in person to uh, get inducted into the hall of fame. It's just, it sucks that he w- just, he's not here anymore. It's just, it, it hurts. really yeah, does no, suck. It, hurts. it really does suck, but it was nice to see um, his, his family really take the honor for him. And uh, yeah, I, I thought Vanessa's speech, uh, was was really good at the uh, Hall of Fame when he was inducted this past weekend. And then to just touch on Kevin Garnett here, I, Garnett was fantastic throughout his entire career, whether it was with the Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves and then the Boston Celtics. He was phenomenal. He was one of the – how do I say this? I think he was one of the most toughest competitors that I've ever seen um, in the league. Just that dude was as tough as nails in the NBA, and – he never took a game off that that guy would give you everything that he had whenever he was out in the court. And when you, when you look at his career, obviously he didn't achieve a lot of success in Minnesota just because they weren't really competing for titles when he was there. But when he went to Boston, he was a major piece into why they were able to win that 2008 finals against the Lakers. And I think for him, it was just a vindication of his, what I, I think was at that point, like an 11 year career. He'd already been in the league over a decade plus when he won that first championship with the Celtics. Yeah. I believe and, he was drafted in 95. And so, it, yeah. it, it, it just, it just, it adds a nice little cherry on top to his career, getting that, that one finals um, championship. I think that is something that he'll always remember. I know it's something that the whole Celtics team will always remember because they always like to tell everybody that they won that finals ma- they won that finals matchup in 2008. Um I'll let you talk a little bit about the 2020 class and then we'll transition into the 2021. I mean, you pretty much said everything about Kobe and Tim. I mean, I'm just going to give a little bit more of a reiteration on Kevin. I mean, coming out of high school out of South Carolina in 1995, getting drafted and going right to the Minnesota Timberwolves and, and making an immediate impact an 18-year-old kid, 19-year-old kid just coming out there with the the attitude and the trash talk. I mean, we've heard multitudes of players that have literally talked to KG or talked about him. And everybody says the same thing. The dude is a psychopath. Like <laughs> he talks to himself or he would talk to himself. He would curse you out. He would have no problem starting an altercation. He would get in your head, whether that's a nudge in the elbow at the free throw while, while, while shooting free throws, talking shit in your ear throughout the game, being extra aggressive on defense, you know, maybe throwing a, a couple of, Difficult bows here and again, but I mean, the fierce and ferocity, uh, or should I say the ferocity that he brought to the table every game he's ever played in was unmatched. 
Mm-hmm. Like Kyle said, he might have been one of the most electrifying players that we watched just because when he was on the court, everybody knew he was there. Everybody felt KG on the court. And he is one of the power forwards in NBA history that revitalized the four position because yep. he came into the league and he was able to hit face up 10, 15 foot jump shots. He did develop a decent mid to long range jump shot the farther along he did get in his career. The turnaround shimmy pull up uh, fading away off of the opposite foot. Not the dirt fadeaway, but you know what I mean? Kind of like almost like a, a hybrid between the Elijah Wan fake and then fading away off the mm-hmm. foot like Dirk. But KG brought an intense defensive presence as well, winning a multitude of defensive player of the year awards, uh, multiple all-star game appearances. And like Kyle said, when he got to that Boston team, Ray Allen and Paul Pierce were already veterans well-established in their own rights on their own individual teams. And they literally assembled together for one goal. And that was to win that championship. And I'm pretty sure everybody that knows Kevin Garnett knows that, or should I say, remembers that speech of anything is possible after they won their chip. It was a little annoying at the beginning, but I mean, just to, just to reiterate and remember the man had just played 12 seasons on a team that was constantly getting bounced out of the first or second round because they were competing against the Kings, the Lakers, the Spurs, and so on and so forth. The Suns, like, they just, they couldn't win. They were just screwed. It was literally Kevin Garnett for the latter of his career in Minnesota. And when he finally won, I mean, I can't even imagine. It's like constantly getting to the the door of the next step of your career that you want, and it keeps getting slammed in your face, and he finally achieved it. He must have been just overwhelmed with emotions. And even in the trade to Brooklyn, he brought a different kind of energy over there as well. And, you know, granted, they didn't really do much either. They were kind of like an, I don't know, I call them the retired Avengers because they just, they literally had everybody at the end of their career. They had Joe Johnson. They had Paul Pierce. They had freaking Kevin Garnett. They had Jason Terry. They just had a bunch of old heads. And, and Jason Kidd. And, and Jason Kidd, who just fucking retired from the NBA himself. So they literally had a bunch of just OGs on this team and they found a way to will themselves into a postseason, a couple of postseason appearances. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm super happy for KG granted. He's not the best out of the three that we had just mentioned, but he is a pillar in the NBA. One of the greatest power forwards of all time. And I'm just super, super happy that the big ticket finally got his ticket punched and is going to be immortalized and remembered forever. Oh, for sure. And then we'll transition into the 2021 class. Um, I, I just want to get your thoughts on some of the, the big name players here. Obviously, we got some some great players here. Chris Bosch got in, Paul Pierce got in, Ben Wallace got in, just and also Chris Weber as well. So just let me get your thoughts on this 2021 NBA Hall of Fame class. I I'm torn, and I'm this this is gonna be a different take. Um, I don't think Chris Bosch is a Hall of Famer, in my personal opinion. Um his career unfortunately ended a little early because of the blood clots. Maybe if he would have scored a little bit more points or maybe if he would have made a couple more, you know, postseason runs. I don't know. I mean, obviously the majority of his career was in Toronto where he didn't really do anything. He did average about 24 points a game out there. He comes to Miami, wins two chips with Braun. But I mean, really that's it. I mean, his career is 19 points, eight and a half rebounds. Like I don't really see something crazy you know what I'm saying like Paul Pierce like carried a franchise into the postseason I don't know how many times Paul Pierce won an NBA championship Paul Pierce was you know what I'm saying like everybody knows the truth everybody knows Paul Pierce made an impact it, it just I just really can't compare 
Chris Bosch to the list of the players on here. I mean, if you really want to look at it, Ben Wallace was a four-time defensive player of the year. He was a champion. Ben Wallace was just a focal point on the defensive end that carried that Piston team into relevance and dominance into the early 2000s. Like, for God's sakes, they fucking knocked off Shaq and the Lakers in 2004 in one of the greatest upsetted NBA finals in history. And they, they didn't just beat – they fucked them up. They dominated them in fives. Mm-hmm. Like, Ben Wallace – was a big part of that and ben wallace is a very very remembered and recognized player granted he has been out of the league for some time so him getting into this a little late in my opinion i mean chris weber too i mean you could make an argue about it like i just why is he in the hall of fame he's never won anything he's averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds for the entireness of his career but he didn't achieve anything he didn't get an mvp he had a couple of all-star appearances he didn't get a defensive player of the year he didn't have an nba championship like he won rookie of the year in 93. Whoopee. Like, I think this class is a lot weaker than a lot of other classes in the past. I think that the NBA is kind of fishing for some talent or like fishing for some from some vets. Because the only one that really belongs on this list to me, Paul Pierce, and maybe finally Ben Wallace. I again, no disrespect to the two players that I had mentioned. It's probably going to come across as a horrible take because. Lord knows everybody likes to say that my recent takes on some things have been horrible. Um, but I don't know, man. I just, I'm not, I'm not really feeling it. I just, I, I wish I had more to say. It's just, it doesn't feel right to put Chris in the hall of fame and it, both Chris's actually, that's ironic, but I, I don't know, man. I, I'm going to literally pass the ball to you because I'm literally struggling here to figure out what it is that I want to word, but I just can't word it because I just, it's, it's like a gut feeling. I just don't feel like they did, They deserve to be in the hall of fame. I'm going to slightly disagree with you with uh, Chris Bosch and Chris Weber. Um, when I look at really like these top guys here, I, Paul Pierce, I, I believe he's a Hall of Famer. That's without a doubt. Uh, same thing with Ben Wallace. It's like you mentioned him winning four defensive players of the year awards. And he was the one of the major pieces into why Detroit won that 2004 NBA finals against the Lakers. And even despite that, he was just a gritty tough player and was just tough as nails for that Detroit team really kind of it kind of reminded he kind of reminded me of somebody that would have I think fit in well with those bad boy Pistons back in the 90s he was kind of cut from that same cloth and I really think that just the intensity that he brought to that Detroit team is what made them an NBA champion him and Dennis Rodman that would be fire a lot of suspensions (laughs) um Here's where I'm going to slightly disagree with you with the whole uh, Chris Weber and Chris Bosh part, simply because when I look at Chris Bosh, I think he got in because of his association with that Miami Heat team. Just because even though that he wasn't the main guy on that Heat team, he did come up with some huge moments in some big games for Miami. He got that rebound in game six in the 2013 NBA Finals against the Sony San Antonio Spurs. He passes out to Ray Allen. He knocks down the shot. And then not only that, believe that game went to overtime. I think the Heat were up two or three in the last position of that game. He ends up blocking Danny, Danny Green. Green in the corner, seals the game. Could have been and, a foul. Uh, it's see, it's one of those things it's like in the moment it's really tough to make that call if you're 100 yeah so it's tough. but i thought it was i thought it was great defense i thought it was a great defense from chris and i think just when you look at chris boss's career 
I think he was really kind of the main guy in Toronto, but they didn't really go anywhere because Toronto wasn't really that good of a team in the mid 2000s, but they were better with him. And I think just the veteran leadership that he was able to provide for that Miami Heat team from 2010 to 2014, I think you take Chris Bosh away from that team, Miami winning two of those finals is a lot more difficult than with him there. So I think you you have to appreciate his presence on that Heat team because I don't think if they had him, if they did not have him on that team, I think they may have only won one finals, one of those finals, not two. So yeah, but you can argue the the you can, the, you the, can the, argue the rebound. No, no, the rebound for the Spurs, because in my opinion, Popovich had a brain fart. Like he took out all his bigs to guard because they were playing defense, and 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 Chris Bosh was like five inches taller than the tallest player on the Spurs on that that defensive set. Yeah, Bosch. If, if Bosch didn't get the rebound, it would be embarrassing. And we're really basing his Hall of Fame career on one rebound. I think it was one of the clutchest rebounds. Is one of the clutchest rebounds in NBA history. Granted, I I I hundred percent agree. I've heard about this Ray Allen shot my whole fucking life since it's happened. It's one of the clutchest shots I've ever seen. But if we're solely basing a Hall of Fame career on one act or one play, that's not enough for me because he wasn't consistent with it. Yes, he's a two-time champion, Braun and Wade. You know what I'm saying? Yes, he was an 11-time All-Star. He was the best player in Toronto, so he had to, averaging almost 25 and 10. But when he got to Miami, his points per game decreased, his rebounds decreased, his efficiency decreased. That was expected, like I though. Say, I that was agreed, expected. But he won two titles being the third fiddle, and we're going to sit here and praise him like he had a, a, a phenomenal career. He That's did have just a good not career. the case. He had a great career. It's a little disrespectful to say he had an okay career. He did not have an okay career. It's it's not a Hall of Fame career to me. It's not it's not enough. The, the, I get it. He's a two-time NBA champion. It's hard to win championships. I get that. Some of the greatest players in this league have never won championships. That's fair. But enough. I just don't I don't believe that he rightfully deserves it as as easily as a first ballot, first year, like. Dude, there are some I, – again, I'm, I don't know off my head, but I'm pretty sure there are some players that have been waiting to get into the Hall for some time now that that, that I believe may deserve to be in this Hall of Fame faster than fucking Chris Bosh. He's nothing stellar. Just agree to disagree on this one. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, And then with, and then with Chris, though, with Chris Webber, this is one that is a little bit intriguing to me. I think he got in just because of his – entire basketball career because when you look at Chris Weber he was huge in his collegiate time as well with the Fab Five and he was one of the biggest pieces during that run when he was with Michigan he also now, called the timeout fair enough however <laughs> he was a huge focal point for the for that team getting to where they got to okay. so you, you can't can't really argue that yeah he had the one brain fart in probably the one moment that you can't have that. But I don't think that takes away from his entire collegiate career with Michigan. He had a stellar career in Michigan. Agreed. Yes. But there is a college basketball hall of fame for that. So I will not sit here and allow his collegiate career to affect his NBA status because there's a Naismith basketball hall of fame. There's a college basketball hall of fame. You want to go and bring up the fat five. You can bring it up at that speech. I don't want to hear none of that bullshit here in the NBA because nobody gives a shit what you did in school. When you, when you come to the league, 
I mean, Jay, Jay Wright got in as into the NBA Hall of Fame, and he's never coached an NBA game in his life. I just, I don't, but I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't understand why that is. Like, why are you in the NBA Basketball Hall of Fame? Like, it just to me, it does not make like there's a basketball and college basketball Hall of Fame. Because okay. it's, it's it's not called the NBA Hall of Fame. It's called the Basketball the, Hall of Fame. Yeah, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's it's their yeah. overall impact to the game of basketball. And for me, when I look at Chris Webber, he was a great player with the Sacramento Kings. Granted, they didn't achieve what I would consider success as far as winning a title goes, but they were extremely competitive in the Western Conference, especially in oh, those yeah. late 90 years going into the early 2000s. And he was the main focal point of that team. So we can Mike Bibby, Jason Williams, all you had Vladi Divac as well. So I mean, you have some great players from those Kings teams. Even though they didn't win a championship, those teams were just fun to watch. Granted, I was a little bit younger when those teams were kind of going through their time, but I vividly remember just the wars and the battles that the Lakers and the Kings got into in those Western conference playoffs games. So it's like, you have to give respect where respect is due. I think Chris Weber is definitely deserved. He definitely deserves a spot in the hall of fame. And for me, was it a little bit late? Yeah, maybe. Um, But with that said, I'm just, I'm glad that he was able to get in and I think it's well-deserved for him. So, but, but all in all, I think this is a pretty good class. I don't think it's as good as the 2020 class that featured Kevin Garnett, no Kobe Bryant, and Tim Duncan. But this is a respectable class. I'm not going to disrespect this class and say that this class is okay or so-so. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. The, the, the class overall, obviously, we're forgetting, you know, Bill Russell is now being inducted as the first black head coach at the time. He's being inducted as a coach. As a coach he was already yeah. as a player. We have uh, Rick Adelman, obviously one of the greatest coaches that the NBA has had in some time, um, you know, he had his impact along with the early Warriors team in the nineties. So, I mean, there are a litany of other people on this team, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, that's about it sort of, I know Tony Kukoc as an international committee direct elect yeah. was put <laughs> in to the hall of fame. So I don't know how the hell that all works, but uh, yeah, that's I, like Kyle said, it's not a, uh, a bad class, but it's nowhere near as good as the class of this year's class. You don't want to mention Jay Wright? No, we're not talking about Jay Wright. I think you have to explain to the audience why you have such disdain for this man. So what's the next segment? I'm being honest here. I'm being real. Listen, 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 okay? Jay Wright is one of the best college coaches that we've seen in a while, okay? I give the man his credit. He is a, he is a two-time National Coach of the Year. And he led Villanova to two national championships. One of them being against North Carolina in 2016, where North Carolina fell asleep and we allowed DiVincenzo to bring the ball. It wasn't even DiVincenzo, actually. It was somebody else. He brought the ball all the way up court. A little, little, little backwards shovel pass to hit the game-winning shot to win a national championship after Marcus Page hit probably one of the clutchest shots I've ever seen in my life to tie the game. And I have had forever beef with the University of Villanova ever since then. And my girlfriend is from Delaware, and they cheer, Philly everything. So what school is right there? It's Villanova. So, yes, congratulations to Jay Wright. 
can we get to the next topic? Do you, whenever, do you, do you feel better? Are, are you okay now? Do, are you happy? Whenever I get to see you in pain, I always smile. So you, you're happy with my, you know what? I'm not even going to get into this on the air. Just next topic. <laughs> Guys, there was some good NHL games. This Hold up, you forgot something. You forgot something. What did I, what I forget? We got to talk about the, um, the MVPs. MVP. Oh, man, you got me fucked up with this damn Jay Wright bullshit. Guys, we, we had already pretty much made these predictions midway through the year, and I'm almost positive we're 92% accurate with how it ended up. So, obviously, we have an MVP, a most improved player, a six-man of the year, a coach of the year, and a defensive player of the year. I'm almost positive we have guessed four out of this five. As it is, the only question mark is the damn MVP, in all honesty, in my opinion. Yeah, so, so Kyle, I, let's go through it. All right, so I remember halfway through the season, I believe I had Joel Embiid as the MVP. That is no longer the case here. I have Steph as the MVP. Steph has been absolutely phenomenal this year. He, I remember Kevin sent me last night all of these stats that Steph had broken or just the, the records that he had. Yeah, let I me, sent it to your Twitter. Let me actually pull these up real quick, just because I, I want you guys to understand what he was able to do in a shortened season. He only did this in 72 games. And he missed games with injury, just saying, everybody. Steph this year had 32 points per game. He was the scoring title. He won the scoring title this year. He's the oldest to win the scoring title since Michael Jordan. He had 38, which is more than half, of all the games this year, 38 30-point games. It's the most since Michael Jordan. He had 337 threes, leads the NBA, and by a substantial margin. He had his fourth 303 season or 300 made threes this year. So he's, he's done it four times. He had seven 10 three-pointer games this year. It's the most ever. He also averaged, this was his average, he averaged five and a half threes made per game. And he also broke the Warriors' all-time scoring record this season to boot. And he only played 63 games. And he is the sole reason why Golden State is in a play-in situation currently. You take Steph away from this team, this team is a lottery team. And they are probably competing with either the Houston Rockets or the Minnesota Timberwolves with the worst record in the NBA, or, excuse me, in the Western Conference, you take Steph out of the lineup. This team would have been absolute dog water had Steph not been there. So I'm not going to discredit what Joel Embiid did this season or Nikola Jokic. Those guys were phenomenal. But I just believe that those two guys have better all-around teams than Steph does with the Golden State Warriors. Golden State would be absolute trash without Steph. So I just look at what Steph was able to do, especially in the second half of the season, and he was absolutely nuts. He went absolutely bonkers in some of these games. I mean, it got to a point where he was, like, averaging, like, damn near 40 points a game. In In the month of April. I think it was the month of April. He was absolutely phenomenal. And even in May, he was cooking three weeks into May. So it's like, I don't know what else you want me to say more about the guy. And then to kind of focus on some some other awards here, for the most improved player, I have Julius Randle. Julius Randle this year was absolutely sensational. And 
I'll be honest with you. Julius Randle is not really somebody that I would, I would have thought was going to win most improved player this year. I actually had, who was the guy that uh, tore his ACL with the uh, magic this year? I forget his guy. I forget his name. Um, used to play for, uh, used to play for the 76ers. Oh, Marco Fultz. Yeah. I, I had him as the most improved player of the year at the beginning of the year. Cause I thought he was going to have a pretty good year with the magic ended up tearing his ACL and that pretty much ended all that. But when you look at Julius this year, Julius has been outstanding from beginning to end. He averaged his highest point games or points per game this year. He's one of the major focal points to, for this team, getting all the way to the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Had you told me that the New York Knicks would have made the playoffs, I would have laughed in your face. If you would have told me that they made the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference in the Eastern Conference playoffs, I would have just walked away and would have just shook my head. I was like, there's no way that's ever going to happen just because the Knicks always find themselves on the bottom end of the Eastern Conference. But Julius Randle, this dude was dynamite. And I don't know what happened this year or this offseason, but he learned how to knock down some tough mid-range jumpers. He started adding a three-point shot into his repertoire and was really consistent with it as well. And... He was just fun to watch this year, man. I loved his game. And I'm going to be very interested to see what he does in the playoffs, but he definitely deserves most improved player of the year. Uh, Defensive player of the year, I've got Ben Simmons. This is a tricky one just because it's usually usually a two-man race between uh, Rudy Gobert and I would usually say Anthony Davis, typically. But because Anthony Davis was out for... Or Giannis, yeah. Yeah, kind of like those, those... Usually they're always revolved around centers. But Ben Simmons was absolutely outstanding this year. When you look at what Ben Simmons was able to do on the defensive side of the ball this year, I'm pulling up his stats right now. I think he averaged his career high in steals this year. When you, I'm just pulling up the stats. I got to have them here. So he had one and a half steals per game, and he was just a lockdown defender this year. Granted, Ben Simmons has never been what I would consider a great player he's a very good player but when you add this defensive element to his game and being able to lock up some really good players in the process i gotta give respect to that so i don't think he he, he's not the guy that i think a lot of people envision kind of like the the next coming of lebron to a certain extent not like oh my god he's gonna be he's gonna take over the league i think some people thought that when he was first coming into the league it hasn't really turned out that way but he's turned into a solid player for Philly and to be able to, to add the defensive presence to the 76ers when you already have Joel and B down low, it really does improve the entire team. So I'm going to give a little bit of credit to Ben Simmons. And I think he's worthy of uh, defensive player of the year. And for coach of the year, um, I've got Monty Williams of the Phoenix Suns. I had him halfway through as the coach of the year. The same still remains. This team last year just missed the playoffs. In the bubble, I think only by like a game or like a half a game. They were really close. And then they have just taken absolute leaps and bounds this year. They've gone all the way up to the second seed in the Western Conference. And it was something that I never really expected. I thought that this team was worthy of being a playoff team, but not the second seed in the Western Conference. So just the fact that he was able to bring all these young guys together and really form a solid, cohesive group. And then when you add in Chris Paul on top of it, and you just have the season that you have 
with them getting all the way to the second seed in the Western Conference, you have to give a lot of respect to Monty Williams. And this dude has gone through a lot in his life. And the, the tragic loss of his wife when he was, I believe he was an assistant with the Oklahoma City Thunder when he, he unfortunately lost his wife. And for him to come full circle and just enjoy the success that this Phoenix team has had this year, you just, you, you got to feel really good for Monty Williams. And I'm just, I'm glad to see that he's seeing some success as an NBA coach. Absolutely. Did you say Jordan Clarkson? Did you get into the. Six oh, minutes? six minutes a year is uh, Jordan Clarkson. It's not even close. Jordan Clarkson was basically averaging starter numbers. Like I think the like, granted, I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me with Jordan Clarkson, but I remember like the last game of the year, he dropped like 35 points and he had like these, these huge spurts where he would go bonkers. He, he would he just drop 30, 30, uh, 33, yeah. 33. I mean, and he's not even the number one player on the team. If I had to say it was probably either Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. But when you got him coming off the bench and providing that big of a spark, he could be a starter in this league with those types of, with, with those types of numbers. I think he averaged like 18 and a half points off the bench. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely nuts what this guy was able to do. I don't know what it was from the what he did this offseason, but he was cooking the entire year. So yeah, six man of the year. That was an easy one. That's Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. So um, I agree with Kyle on every facet except for defensive player of the year. Unfortunately, I am going to go be a basic bitch and go and say Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert led the league in blocks per game with 2.7, which is also a career high. Um, literally almost three blocks a game. I mean, every time somebody is playing Utah, you have to obviously accommodate for this seven foot one French fucking wall that is Rudy Gobert and granted Rudy Gobert has lately been on the butt end of a lot of poster jokes but I mean um the man is just he just alters too many shots he plays a great impact on that team and he's a large portion as to why the defensive presence of the Utah Jazz is what it is and because they are the number one team in the league um I just kind of like you know go out there and I'll say it and I think that he definitely will end up being another player in this league that'll have multiple defensive player of the year awards. I think this year will probably be three, which will tie him with Dwight Howard. Uh, and he'll be going for Ben Wallace's record of four. So, I mean, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm pretty much literally the same exact pace, same exact ways that Kyle said, same votes. I, I, it sucks. Cause I've been talking about Steph all year. Um, truthfully, Kyle and I were talking about it right before. We don't think he's going to get it because they are the eighth seed. And it just, it's, it's, I've said this on multiple occasions because he is an eight seed that does not take away the value of the player. And I think, like Kyle reiterated, uh, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but because Nicola and Joel are on amazing teams, they have a lot of support. I think that that should take into account of how good Steph really is. Because if you really look at that roster, he's the only one doing significant things and he's the only one making a, a significant impact. So, um, I really am pushing for Steph. The league recognizes it. Damian Lillard has said it. Um, LeBron James said it in a post-conference John game. Post-game, John Morant. I, I, everybody is talking about this man lighting the league up and rightfully deserving it. So, I mean, the only only time will tell. We'll see what happens. But we all know how NBA awards work. So, um, that's just how it goes, unfortunately. But with that being said, we're going to just transition into the NHL segment of the episode. Again, I was at a wedding this weekend, so I didn't really have my phone. So, Kyle, this segment's going to be all on you. 
So just, you know, let us know, man, what the hell happened this weekend? Because I'm sure shit curious. These games were wild yesterday. And granted, I know we haven't talked a lot about hockey on the podcast here. But, bro, watching these games yesterday was absolutely crazy. You had two of the three games go to overtime. And it first started with uh, the Wild and the Golden Knights. And it was a pretty much a defensive battle from beginning to end. There were no goals scored until overtime when the Wild were able to get an overtime goal to put them up 1-0 against the Vegas Golden Knights in their series. And then when you look at the Flames and Canucks, this was a wild game. You had 11 goals scored in this game. The first game of their playoff series, Calgary ends up getting the win. They won 6-5 to in overtime as well. This was just – it was crazy. Like in the second period, Calgary scored four goals. Four. That put them up 5-1. to And then – Dude, the Canucks came back in the third period with four goals to tie it up five to five. Being down five one is one thing. To come back from five to one in the first playoff game of the series and tie it up, granted they didn't get the win, but the fact that they were able to come back and make it competitive to force it to overtime is absolutely nuts. And then the last game here, I've got the Lightning and the Panthers here. This is like the Battle of Florida, and this game was great from beginning to end. It was back and forth. If I remember correctly, I don't think any team led more than two goals, or le- actually, I take the back, led more than one goal because it was really kind of a back and forth because the Panthers were up one after the first period. The Lightning ended up taking a 3-2 lead after the second period, and then it was just back and forth in the third period, and then Braden Point was able to get the go-ahead goal with I believe like a minute 30 left in the third period and it gave the Lightning the edge over the Panthers. So the Lightning are up 1-0 in that series as well. Just, bro, this was the first, these were the first playoff games that we've seen in the NHL playoffs and they were absolutely wild. Granted, I'm a pretty fair weather Lightning fan. I'm, I, I pay attention to just the scores whenever I see it pop up on my feed on my phone. But, Dude, these games were fantastic to watch. And, you know, I wish I wish more people would kind of give the, the NHL some shine, the NHL some shine, just because these are some great games. And then not only that, we got um, we got the Bruins and the Capitals uh, later today. They played their second game. We also have the Nashville Predators going up against the Carolina Hurricanes. And then we got the St. Louis Blues going up against the uh, Colorado Avalanche here. So these are going to be some good games. And um, I'm going to be looking forward to watching these games. They're going to be fun. Couldn't have. Well, I, yeah, no, I definitely couldn't have worded it better because I just don't follow hockey as much as I should. Uh, you know, the Rangers kind of suck this year. Actually, so. I did forget one game. I did forget one. It was the uh, the Islander, Islanders and the Penguins. And um, that was a great game. It was a back and forth game. And then the Islanders ended up getting an overtime goal. It was really kind of odd how they won the game. It was kind of like a, it was, it was a slap. It was a shot, but it was coming from an odd angle. And I believe whoever shot it, I forget who shot it, shot it right over the goalie's shoulder and was able to put it top shelf to get them the win. And that was also the first game of their series as well. So, I mean, it was just, it was just a great weekend of hockey. If you got the chance to watch it, 
you could truly understand and appreciate just the performances that these teams had over the weekend. And it didn't matter. Like, you know, granted, a lot of these games were really close. So you can't even say that one team played bad and the other team played amazing. These teams, a lot of these games were super competitive and came right down to the end. And I hope it's just something that continues moving forward. And this is only the first round of the playoffs, my guy. We got a long way to go before oh, yeah. somebody is crowned uh, with the Stanley Cup. Stanley Cup, obviously the Lightning are the defending champs. So we will see how that unfolds throughout the rest of this postseason. Um, guys, for the majority of that, that is a wrap for us. Uh, Kyle and I, obviously, as you can see, based off of the light in the background, are recording relatively early. I'm on a little bit of a vacation right now, so we might be able to get some more content out uh, for the later couple of days in the next week or two. So, um, you know, as playoff games happen, we'll be able to get content out a little bit earlier. Kyle and I won't have to break night. Kyle won't have to edit these videos at 2, 3 in the morning and then go to work. So um, we'll probably post maybe a, a video or two today, some early in the morning tomorrow. We'll obviously have the Spotify uploaded tomorrow morning because that does take a little bit of a, process to go out there and do so i mean um other than that guys uh thank you so much for the support we're at 154 subscribers we've been relatively stagnant the last couple of weeks we haven't really had any any new or old things coming through the door in regards to uh supporters so i mean if you're already if you follow us if you're subscribed share post like whatever we know whatever you guys can do again we do appreciate any and all support we can get we love you guys we love bringing this this type of energy to the podcast every day. And we're just going to continue to look forward to, to building more content. This NBA ride right now is going to be a big wave for us. It's going to be a big swing. God willing, that's going to make us, you know, get some more attention to the channel because we're going to be posting pretty much two to three times a week because there's going to be games almost every day. You know, the first round and the playing tournament is going to be very, very, very electric and very, very busy. So again, we're going to do our best to put out a minimum of two, if we can, three videos and, uh, We'll just continue to keep you guys posted. For sure. I really don't have anything else to add. Um, just continue to support the channel and support the podcast in any way, shape, or form. I know Kevin and I definitely appreciate where, the support wherever we can get it. And just stay tuned for what we got later this week. Um, the play-in tournament will be completed by our next episode. So we will have a f- full set of seeds in the NBA conference in the NBA uh, playoffs they will be set in the eastern and the western conference by the time our next episode comes around so we will definitely be focusing on the NBA playoffs as we move forward into the latter part of May and then really throughout most of the summer it is going to be jam-packed for basketball up until probably the middle of July so just get ready for that you guys and other than that that's all I got so with that said you guys once again Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you guys later this week. See y'all later. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric cast.